Uh, we are in somewhere in the beginning of Exodus. I haven't been going um, through it very um, in, in a straight line, I guess you could say. But um, we're, the last time we talked about the the judgments of, uh, or the plagues, the plagues has a picture of the judgment of the cross. And that's really how, um, I, I, I'm sure there's much more here. I'm all, I mean, I could say that about everything I've ever talked about, but I'm sure, I'm definitely sure that there's a whole lot here that I don't really understand about these plagues. But I guess, uh, for me, they've kind of been in my heart like one big judgment, one big picture of the cross. I don't really know how to separate them, I mean, I don't really see anything different uh, yet between the frogs and the flies and the hail and the whatever. Um, I just kind of see this 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 um, incredibly huge judgment um, that seems to me to be just just you know God doing so much in the natural realm that points to an enormous and incredible um, spiritual reality. It's kind of like I, I just what popped in my head was uh, I, I think all the sacrifice. I think everyone would agree that the sacrifices um, under the old covenant, uh, under the law, were all pictures of Christ and the cross. But remember when Solomon dedicated the house, dedicated the temple, and I forget what it was, but it was like twenty thousand lambs and ten thousand bulls and some unbelievably enormous coin. I mean, in, in, you know, what was wrong with one lamb and one bull? You know, I, I don't think anything was wrong with that. But the immensity of the judgment, the, the incredible uh, hugeness, the accomplishment of the judgment of, of the cross, I think is what's what's in view there with the I mean, those guys must have been like shin deep in blood. I can't imagine how much blood that must have been. And, um, and that's kind of how I see this. I just see a giant, um, uh, a giant view of, of this, this judgment. And I said last time that I see, I, I really, uh, I, I see, saw this, I mean, I, I started seeing this, I think, a, a while back ago, and I feel like it's just kind of become more and more clear over the years, that God has accomplished all judgment, all true judgment through the cross. There's a whole bunch of things that that um, point to the cross, either pointing forward or pointing back, so to speak, or, or making us reckon with um, the cross. But the actual accomplishing of judgment, Jesus said in, in John chapter 12, now is the judgment of the world. Um, I think that that was a very uh, meaningful statement. I don't think... I don't think he was confused about that at all. I think we're the ones that are confused. Now, remember, when we talk about judgment, we're not talking about punishment. And a lot of times, um, at least not necessarily, judgment is just, it's a, it's, it's a word that has to do with the division, a dividing. And, and, and specifically, it's God's dividing between the living and the dead or between Adam and Christ between old and new flesh and spirit it's a it's a division so judgment isn't the same thing as punishment judgment is like the, the actual cleaving between two things the separation first you're judged and and then based upon that judgment you're either 
praised or punished, but but um, in, in the mind of a lot of people, judgment is kind of the same thing as um, as punishment. Because I guess we usually use it kind of in a negative context, but it doesn't necessarily. You can be judged innocent. You can be judged uh, to be telling the truth. You, you know, you don't doesn't have to be a negative um, a negative reality. But the cross of Christ is this judgment, and what does that mean? Well, it means a ton, and 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 I think the more we see that and experience that judgment in our heart, in other words, the more that that division between the living and the dead, between Adam and Christ, flesh and spirit, becomes a uh, a reality in our heart, the more we're going to read stories like this and say, "Oh my goodness." That's what this is talking about. That's what this picture is all about. Because you're going to find out that more than anything else, the story of the the Exodus is is a story about a division, a division that takes place between two uh, two king two kings, two kingdoms, two people, uh, two 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 relationships, and 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 and, a, and there's a there's a sea that's placed bet- between them. That's what it's all about. It's it's a judgment, and. And, and the cross, and of course it's, it's, I mean, I, I, there's not many people that would even try to argue with the, the, the idea that the death of the lamb doesn't point to the cross, or the crossing of the Red Sea doesn't point to the cross. I think pretty much, I mean, that's, that's, those are pretty, uh, there's some types and shadows people might argue over, but I don't think those are some of them. And, and yet, um, I just think that that's, that's what every judgment in the Old Testament was testifying of. It was testifying of a perfect and eternal division. A perfect dividing line, boundary line, wall, chasm, whatever way you want to put it, between life, which is a person, and death, which is another per i mean is, is another man or the condition of another man or the government that co- that that governs that man and and every every type whether you're talking about i mean you can just pick one the flood of noah um the cherubim with the flaming sword guarding the way to the tree of life the um the 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 judgment of egypt the fire and brimstone that fell on Sodom and Gomorrah it, the the Babylonian captivity the Assyrian destruction of the northern 10 tribes whatever you're talking whatever every single one of those uh, and I, and I can't I, I I've seen a little bit of, of those things but I I'm sure I've just scratched the surface but every single one of those is supposed to bring something of the cross or God's accomplishment in Christ crucified uh into into view in your heart that's i think that's why that's why it's there it's a testimony and so before the cross all um all individual experiences of judgment or personal experiences of judgment um all experiences of 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 a judgment on Egypt or on the whole nation of Israel or whatever were were pictures of the cross to come and and now I believe that and at any point from the cross onward, every um, whatever whatever I think you you could truly call um, a judgment, whether it's something that's 
possibly external uh, or more and more more likely internal or or personal the judgment of god that's going to that you're needing to face is when the human soul reckons with faces knows the the cross of Christ. That's it's. I want to. I want to highlight this a little bit. I mean, I'm just saying this kind of some of this again this week because I think the church is ex- exceptionally confused on this issue at, at large. We are. We. You know. I remember being really confused too. I mean, I remember being confused, thinking that when the cross was the judgment, and then but then I was saved, and then and now. But then I'm going to be judged again when I die. But then there's also going to be this big white throne. I'm going to be judged like three times, you know. And I mean, I remember thinking that's really confusing. Or which, how come I don't get to like, can I just get judged once and have it be over with? Or, well, there is just one judgment. It, it's the judgment of the cross, and that judgment is a reckoning of all things. It's it's a it's a perfect, clean, and eternal separation of all things according to God's view. On the one side, you have Christ and all that is alive in Christ by the life of Christ. In other words, it doesn't have life of its own. It has the life of Christ. On the other side, you have all that has uh, refused Christ or that is trying to stand in its own so-called life. And, and, And that's... That's the judgment. God sees, I think you could say, and, and again, uh, don't take me too seriously when I make real, like, sweeping comments like this, but, uh, I always picture some angel in the room, like, chuckling, uh, when I say something, like, and act like I know something, but, um, but, I, I really believe that the Lord looks through the, sees all things through the lens of the finished work of the cross. It's almost like he has this, these, these glasses on, and one, to, you know, one side he looks out and and, it, and everything's dead, and the other side he looks out and everything's alive. One side is Christ, one side is Adam, one side or one side is the seed of God, one side is the seed of the serpent. One side sees into the ark, and the other side sees everything outside of the ark drowning. Uh, one side sees in the in the, uh, the the house where the people are eating the lamb, and the other side sees outside where everyone's crying and weeping and wailing. There's just these two these two sides, these two lives, uh, and one of them is not even alive. And um, and and so you must face the judgment seat of Christ. But I I don't I don't see that being anything than the light of Christ, the light that is Christ. Opening your eyes to to behold and walk in the truth of a division, a perfect cleaving between two opposite things, an established boundary between two things, that working in your heart. Now you can face that judgment, you can begin to face that judgment right this moment and the, but the only way to face that judgment is in the light light is the, ju- the light is your experience of that judgment the cross is the accomplishing of the judgment and light becomes your experience of what the cross accomplished and there's there's a billion analogies we could use for that but it's really it, 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 that 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 sometimes strikes people as kind of a strange thing to say but it's it's really not it, it, if uh 
you know, if if I've made a, a division in my room between one side that's you know uh, drops down off a cliff and or whatever or in this room, one side drops down into the grass in the backyard, and and the other side uh, has a couch on it, and and you have the lights turned off, um, you know. Turning on the lights isn't going to change anything about those two sides of the room, but it's going to make you face it. It's going to make you see which side is death, which side is alive. That maybe isn't a great analogy, but but the fact of the matter is that when the light begins to dawn in your heart, you face inwardly, you become a judged one. That which was crucified with Christ begins to be shown to you as dead and meaningless and empty. That which is alive to God in Christ forevermore, which Christ himself, comes into view as the thing that is alive, the thing that remains. And the, and the aspects of Christ are those things which become more uh, more and more real in, in your soul. So, you... You have to, everyone has to face the judgment seat of Christ. And, and, and the scary thing is that you, that you can face the judgment seat of Christ. Well, let me put it this way. You can face, there's a way to face this division, to face this eternal. Remember in the, in the, in the parable of, uh, the rich man and Lazarus where he said, God, Lazarus, or the rich man cries out from hell and says, can Lazarus just take his finger and put it in the cool water and dip it on my tongue? And God says, no. And here's why. Because there's an eternally fixed chasm between there and here. And, 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 and there's no, there's no passing from side to side. There totally is, there's a division established. Remember that, that, that parable? It, it's like that. Now, there's a way to, and this is what's in the Exodus. This is what you see in the Exodus story here and, and and I'm and I'm roughly around uh Exodus 11 and 12 today. Um maybe I mentioned some things in 13 too, but that's kind of the the, the general area I'll be, I'll be probably quoting from a little bit. You can face the judgment of God and 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 find life. And and, and there's another way to face the judgment of God and um and and find destruction, and um, and 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 that's what's going on. In other words, the 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 judgment of the Lord is going to be a huge cleaving or separating. The only question isn't whether God is separating life and death. It's which side you're going to be found on. Are you going to be found in the man who is cut off, or are you going to be found in the man who is accepted of God forevermore? And 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 either way. Either way, you're going to have to face this this judgment as the as the righteous judgment of your own soul. You know, in other words, it's going to it's God's view, and it's and you're going to have to face it one way or another. If you accept that, if you accept that judgment as as what you merit what you deserve what 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 if you accept that death as your death then there's life to be found on the other side if you try to stand in what you call life then you'll find that trying to save your life you've lost it and and jesus says this kind of thing 
a bunch of times uh, about trying to keep what you call life and losing it or being willing to lose what you call life and finding it. Um, there's other places where he says, whoever falls on this stone will be broken, but up upon whomever it falls will be ground to powder. John the Baptist um, talks about these same two options. Um, he says the one receiving uh, Christ passes from death to life and the one not uh, receiving him remains um, in Egypt under the wrath of of God, he doesn't really say exactly like that. He says, "I wrote it down here somewhere." He says, uh, "John three thirty six: He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. He who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him." The wrath of God, God that's what God's doing in this judgment. He's he's designating one land of wrath and one land of acceptance in the beloved. One people that have passed out of death unto life, and another people who have uh, obstinately decided to to remain in the land that is governed by sin and death. And that's really, I know there's, we've talked about several views of the Exodus, I guess. I, I, I guess whatever one I'm talking about seems like the biggest one to me, but this is a huge view. This is, a, this is precisely what the Passover is all about. You know, it's not the, 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 the plagues on Egypt, the, the death of the firstborn, the judgments uh, in the Exodus. It's not primarily um, I mean, maybe not. I mean, maybe I should take out the word primarily. It's, maybe it's not at all. Just a picture of God punishing sinners. I don't think that's what's going on there. That's not the right view. If God wanted to paint a picture of punishing bad guys, you know, punishing sinners, He could have done that really easily without all of the details of eating lambs and raising staffs and snakes coming out of. Uh, staffs and eating up other snakes and you know he he didn't have to he could have just he could have just you know uh blew up pharaoh or 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 just nuked the whole land of Egypt i mean there's a lot of ways he could have done the Sodom and Gomorrah thing which i don't think that's a picture of that either but it's easier to understand it that way. What's up with the, the these verse after verse chapter after chapter of all of these strange pictures well What's up with them is the is the fact that all of these pictures are uh, are describing something far bigger than just God punishing bad guys. You know, and it's also not it's not just a picture of God rescuing good guys. That's not you can't you or, or God rescuing people that are righteous. You can't make. I mean, you can't make that story about that either. It's just as hard to make it about God rescuing good guys as it is about God punishing bad guys because a few chapters later, God tells Moses to, to step aside and he's going to kill everyone that, that he told put, took out of the land and start over with Moses because he wasn't, the, the purpose wasn't to evaluate natural man and punish bad guys and reward good guys. That's not it. The Exodus is a picture of God making a clean division between two uh, uh, I don't know why I like the word cleaving I just picture it like with a knife going right through the sword of the cross a, a clean division between two realms two lands two kingdoms two kings uh, declaring the one to be cut off from him and not uh, and and put away put away from his relationship put away from uh, his dealing and um and 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 then another brought to him 
brought to him. And that's the exact language that he says it. He says, Israel, Exodus 19, he says, Israel, you have seen what I did to Egypt and how I lifted you up on eagles' wings and brought you unto myself. That's what he says. I think it's Exodus 19.4. How I lifted you, it's like Paul saying, raised you up seated you in the heavens in Christ, lifted you up on eagle's wings and brought you into myself, brought you unto myself. That That is God's view of what he did. Now that clearly wasn't Israel's view. I can picture Israel kind of scratching their head when they hear God saying that, saying, when exactly did that happen? But as always, God God first accomplishes his work and then offers us the light by which he knows it and sees it so that his view becomes the operating reality of our soul. And that's what he then began to do and in, 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 as we'll go on to see in Exodus is everything he does with them in Exodus and Leviticus, you can put it under one big banner that uh, you could call it coming to know even as you are known. Or you could call it apprehending that for which you have been apprehended uh, in some of the language of Paul. Because that's everything that happens in the wilderness and, and especially through the priesthood and through all of the hundreds of pictures involved in the law and the priesthood. What's God doing? He's revealing a finished work. He's revealing a relationship that's called Israel, my son. That's what he's doing. That's what all of the law and the, and the priesthood and the tabernacle and the sacrifices and the offerings and the feasts and all of that is God saying, let me show you how I see things. Let me show you my view of you living in Christ in the Father's house. Here's what I want you to do. Put this garment on this priest guy to write all the names, you know, whatever, on his breastplate, on the shoulder plates. Go into the plate. Bring the blood. And he just starts describing it. Let me show you what I see. Let me show you who you are. And, 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 and that's all, um, that's all part of his view there. But the Exodus is a picture of God making this Incredible distinction between two things. It's a distinction between two things, friends, that we don't understand, that we don't, we can't discern it with the natural mind. You don't see that distinction. And the reason you don't see the distinction between two things is because you only see one thing with the natural mind. You can try to make a bunch of divisions between good and evil and nice and naughty and, 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 and helpful and not helpful and Christian and non-Christian and all that stuff with your natural mind, but it all comes out to be part of the wrong side. Only when, you're, when your heart begins to see in his light do you begin to understand this division, this distinction between two totally opposite, contrary kingdoms, realms, lands, natures, seeds. And 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 you begin to see right away that as soon as they go into that house with the blood over it and eat the eat the dead lamb. In other words, as soon as they're baptized into the death of Christ, and as soon as they voluntarily put the blood over their door, walk into the blood and eat the dead lamb, that is when they left. Egypt. And there's a there's a bunch of pictures of that and we're going to talk about it in a second, but right away, as soon as that happens, 
Well, even right before, right before that happens, I have put down this verse here, Exodus 10, 28. It says, Then Pharaoh said to him, Get away from me, talking to Moses. Take heed to yourself and, uh, and see my face no more. For on the day that you see my face, you shall die. And Moses said to him, You have spoken well. I will never see your face again. Now that's, that's speaking of this division I'm talking about. That's talking about, and then, and then a couple chapters later, right when God, um, uh, strikes the firstborn, right when God pays the the purchase price, well, right when Christ becomes the the the, the Adamic, the, the last Adam, and 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 dies, and 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 uh, just as soon as that ransom, that price is paid for the for another firstborn to come out of the womb, then Pharaoh sends to Moses and says, "Um, oh, I didn't write that one down. I thought I did. Maybe I have it later." It, he says, get out, basically. Oh, here it is. So, Phoses, Phoses, Pharaoh, that's Moses and Pharaoh combined. So, Pharaoh arose in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where there was not one dead. Then he called for Moses and Aaron by night, and he said, rise, I love that, rise up, Christ. It's like, you know, this, I think I put this in something I wrote one time, but I, I, if if death or if if Satan could have spoken on the morning of the resurrection, the third day, it would have said this same line to Jesus Christ: "Rise up, go out from among my people, both you and the children of Israel. Go and serve the Lord your God." As you have said, that is what that's what Pharaoh said to Moses when that people no longer belonged in that land. That's what, and that's a that's a clear picture whether any words were spoken or not. That is exactly what happened when Christ, when the Passover lamb had been slain, buried, then death spoke to the Son of God and said, "Rise up." Get out of my land. You have nothing to do with me, son of man. You know, you take all that belonged to you, everyone that you said you needed to take with you, take them all, get out of here. You know, same thing with, with, uh, you know, Laban and he tries to chase Joseph and he's just about catching up to him and Joseph has taken all that is his, all of his sheep and oxen and his two wives and all of his children and everything and he's taken it all out and, and Laban's just about to catch him and, 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 and God says, God says, Make sure, Laban, that you do not say one thing to Jacob for good or for bad. And and he's like, you can't do anything. He's he's out of your land. He's out of your territory. He's gone. He's taken the ones that were joined to him, and he's left. And that's what happens. That's what happens that night. Um, another verse here I wrote down, Exodus fourteen thirteen. And Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians, whom you see today, you shall see again no more forever. Again, there's a dividing taking place. God didn't blow up Egypt. He made a division. And one people had to leave. And the other people could not leave. In fact, when the when the people that hadn't died in the lamb tried to leave, uh, 
they were swallowed up in that wall of sea. Do you see what I'm saying? One, one people couldn't stay, and the other people couldn't leave, not even with the best chariots in Egypt. And, and so God, what you, what you see is God dividing himself from this land of sin and death, cutting it off from himself, and and taking with himself whatever people would come unto him through death. Okay, or you could say in the language of Paul, what other, what, whatever people would be baptized into the death that God offered them, those people would come out in the light of the morning of a new day and could just walk right out of Egypt, even if it meant walking right through the Red Sea, even if it meant walking right out in the fa- in, in, in the view of Pharaoh's chariot. Nothing could stop. They just walked right out. Stand still and see the salvation of your Lord, of the Lord. And so those who come unto him through death are found in him as life. And, and, and yet those who had, had not done this, obviously we're talking about types and shadows here. Those who had not painted the blood entered in and ate in the, uh, eaten the, uh, eaten the, the lamb. Uh, those, those people, um, they they couldn't go, but these ones that come out, they they don't come out as the same thing. When they come out, there's something totally different. They 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 went in to the to the door a bunch of in, a bunch of different Hebrews. They come out as Israel, my son. They go in as slaves to unrighteousness, Pharaoh's slaves. They come out as slaves. To righteousness, slaves to God, they 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 go in. They're just another people group in 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 in, in Egypt. They come out, a people that God has brought unto Himself. They're a holy, uh, they're a kingdom of priests. They're a holy nation. So there's been a there's been a dramatic um, cocoon like experience in in this. I mean, it's the it's the caterpillar um, cocoon butterfly thing or chrysalis, whatever it's called. Where the, where what comes out isn't, isn't even a land dwelling creature anymore. It's a, it's, it, it's left the land. It flies now. It doesn't look the same. It doesn't even have, it's completely different in, in every way. You know, it goes in this, this scrunchy little thing with a billion legs and, and it comes out this totally different thing that God relates to in a totally different way. And, um, yeah, well, anyway. So that's that's what the Passover is about. The Passover is about God bringing a judgment upon Egypt, and nobody was spared from the judgment. And that's one of the things I, I always highlight that a lot whenever I talk about the Passover. And it's, but it's important to, to highlight it. God didn't pass over. And you, sometimes my 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 thoughts get ahead of me. God didn't pass over their houses because. He didn't pass over them to let them live. He passed over them because he saw the blood and and, and recognized them as already dead. Everyone in the whole land of Egypt was, was, was judged. The only issue was whether you fell on the rock or the rock fell on you. Do you see what I'm saying? The, the only issue is whether, whether you, you bear that death unto life or you bear that death unto death. That, that's the only issue. But death came 
to to Egypt. And and God saw the blood in the same way that God saw because it says, and I will see the blood, and I will pass over. It's the same thing God said about the ark. Remember, he had already crushed the entire uh, world in the flood, and he he comes he comes out, or Noah comes out, and, and um and and he says, you know, there is now no more condemnation for those who are under the rainbow, more or less, and and then he he says. Because when I see the rainbow, when I see the covering, when I see the bow and the clouds, I will remember this covenant. I will recognize that judgment has already been spent, that, that, um, one has died and therefore all have died in him. That the, that the Ark of the Covenant was a picture of this perfect judgment. And, um, and it's the same thing with the blood here. When I pass over, I'll see the blood. The blood wasn't for the people to look at. The blood was for, for God to recognize them as dead in the lamb. Dead in the lamb. And and if you didn't do this, see, this is how God begins the relationship with his people. This is what he this is what he does to start the relationship. He puts them into the death of his son. And again, the parallels with Romans chapter six and and, and, and other places in Paul's writings are just are tremendous here. Do you not know that everyone who's been baptized into Christ has been first baptized into his death? Don't you know that that's how this whole thing started? How did it start? It started at Passover. It didn't start at at, at Pentecost. It didn't it didn't start at Tabernacles. It started at Passover. It started when many were put into the death of one. And that's how the relationship was established. That's how you got in. You got in through death. And, uh, and, and that's why right here in, in the beginning of Exodus chapter 12, he's telling, he's, he's giving them the, 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 basically the, the whole spiel on, on what they need to do with the lamb and the blood and everything. And he says, now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt saying, this month shall be the begin, uh, shall be your beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. You know, I don't know what month it was in the heat, in the, uh, in the Egyptian calendar, you know, and it, 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 it didn't matter because everything for eat for, for Israel, for this, for this newly created people in the lamb, it, it all started right then. That it had a moment, it had a beginning point. The beginning point was baptized into death, and and from that point on, anyone that didn't keep this covenant, um, anyone who didn't yearly recognize, uh, keep the feast, which is you know recognize this to be God's. Um, God's view, God's reality. That person uh, shall be cut off from among his people because he did not. It says because he didn't. This is in Numbers nine thirteen. It says, but the man who ceases to keep the Passover, that same person shall be cut off from among his people because he did not bring the offering of the Lord at its appointed time. That man shall bear his sin. Why? Because he forgot to do a feast? No, because he tried to relate to God somehow other than through that lamb, in that lamb, by way of that lamb, by the life of that lamb. That man is cut off from his people because he didn't bring the, the, the offering of the Lord at its appointed time. He didn't. He's not relating to God in the way that God has provided. 
And so you either, you know, speaking of Israel back in their day and, and speaking of, of Israel, I guess, spiritual Israel in our day, you either, you either come, you either begin to find purpose in being baptized into death or you just, uh, you, or God has no relationship with you whatsoever. And I know that that, uh, that, that's offensive to, to some people to think that, well, you, you know, of course God has, I'm not a, Christian or I'm not in Christ, but whatever. Of course, God has a relationship. Uh, no, there's only you, 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 there, there's only one relationship, and that relationship is called in my Son. That's what God would call it. If you want to, God's definition of the relationship is placing you into the death, burial, and resurrection of my Son, so that He is both your death, your burial, and He's your resurrection and your life. And outside of that Lamb, outside of that Son. There isn't a really, everything else is Egypt. It's cut off. You will never see it again. I'm in, God's saying, I'm leaving. You're leaving with me or you're staying. But either way, Egypt is cut off and, and Israel is my son. Egypt is, you know, the son of the Egyptian woman, um, Ishmael and Isaac is, is Israel, the, the son of the promise. One has no inheritance. One God doesn't even recognize as a son because he tells Abraham, go take your only son, your one and only son, Isaac, ignoring the more or less the existence of, of Ishmael. And uh, it, it's, it's, it's just one exclusive. It's exclusive in the sense that it's only with Christ and those who are in Christ. It's inclusive in the sense that everyone is invited into that relationship. But the boundaries of the relationship are the boundaries of Israel, my son. And there's a um, there's a verse here. I said a minute ago um, that you know if if you were to ask someone on a on a on a quiz uh, when did they when did e, uh, Israel leave Egypt? You know, some would say, well, they, they did it like the morning after the Passover, and some would say, no, no, they didn't really. They, was, they were still in Egypt's territory, you know, until they crossed the Red Sea or whatever. Uh, both of those aren't really God's perspective. From God's perspective, the moment they the moment they go into that death, they have left Egypt. And and it's interesting that God even. I mean, I think you could say that even without having this verse that I'm about to quote from Deuteronomy 16. But, um, in fact, I, I think I used to say that before I found this, before I noticed this verse. Um, because I just think it's, it's so true. That's, that's, when did I leave Adam when I was baptized into the death of Christ? Wait, when, when did I leave the, the, the domain and the dominion of, uh, of sin and death when I was baptized into Christ? But, here in, in Deuteronomy, um, well, Deuteronomy 16, I'll read verse 1 and then verse 6. They both kind of say the same thing. 6 is a little more clear. But it says, For in the month of Abib, the Lord your God brought you out of Egypt by night. That's kind of a strange thing to say, because that's, that's when they went in their house and ate the lamb. Then in verse 6, it says, But at the place, he says, you say, Oh, wait, I don't have the context here. I just wrote down, but at the place where the Lord your God chooses to make his name abide, there you shall sacrifice the Passover at twilight, at the going down of the sun, at the time, 
you came out of Egypt. I just think that's really interesting because physically, naturally speaking, that's not how it happened, but spiritually, it is exactly how it happened. And, 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 uh, I, you know, I think Moses was well aware, uh, being most likely the one who wrote Deuteronomy, when they left Egypt, naturally speaking. But here he is writing down that we left uh, at twilight, at the going down of the sun. As soon as we ate the lamb, we were vomited. There was a huge cry, and and Pharaoh realized that there was no more holding on to, that death could not hold him, um, and, and those who had joined themselves to him. And so just as soon as they entered into that, that land, it's like this... It's just, it's like Jonah and the whale. It, it, you know, he goes in three days and three nights and then he just gets barfed up onto the land and goes and preaches, um, he goes and, 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 and preaches the gospel to the Gentiles, you know. It's the same exact thing. You can't keep him in. He had to die there, but he wasn't going to stay there. And as soon as the, the, the plight, the price of his blood had been, had, had, had been Paid and not only paid, but but sprinkled over all this people who are willing to accept it as their own death, then the land of slavery and death cannot hold them, and they're they're projected out of the land. And that's that's where I wrote down this verse too, where Pharaoh says, "Rise up, go out from among my people, both you and the children of Israel. Go and serve the Lord as you have said." And, and another picture here that's that's kind of saying the same thing is um the way that he tells them I don't know if you guys have read Exodus 12 uh recently but you you really if you haven't you should you should uh just just read it I, I just read it real slow you know a few times uh it, there's just there's all these little phrases and things that again from a natural point of view there's no reason why God had to include all of these strange details if if it was just a story about getting his favorite people out of a, out of Egypt, then why in the world are all these really strange details in Exodus 12 and 13? You, you have to reckon with those kind of questions. There's no reason unless each one of these strange details points to a spiritual reality that God has accomplished in his son. And one of these strange details is the fact in Exodus 12, uh, let me see here, Exodus 12, I think it's verse 11. Um, well, first of all, the eating of the Passover was not a pleasant experience, you know, it was, a, it was eating this, you had to eat this entirely, you had to eat the entire, there was no parts of the lamb that you, you weren't supposed to eat, you eat the whole thing. And it says, it's head, it's legs, and it's entrails. That's like the, the horns, the hoofs, and the guts. And you eat it boiled in water. I'm sorry, I mean, not boiled in water. You eat it roasted with fire with bitter herbs. Where is it? With unleavened bread and bitter herbs, they shall eat it. Okay, that's in, that's in Exodus 12. It, it, in other words, it's not supposed to be like a joyous celebration feast. It's supposed to be this bitter death that you're entering into. It's not, uh, it's it's not a not a very pleasant meal. But then, and here's the part I wanted to point out. Here's how you eat it. Thus you shall eat it. Verse verse 11. 
with your belt on your waist, with your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, you shall eat it in haste. It's the Lord's Passover. And why? And then he goes on to say, because I'm executing judgment that night. And, 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 and what you go on to see is, you have to, you have to eat it with your sandals on, your belt on, and your staff in your hand, because eating the lamb is the, is the same thing as leaving Egypt. Because just as soon as you eat that lamb, you're, you, you're, you're gone. As soon as you eat that lamb from God's point of view, and I know they, they didn't leave till the next morning, there's all these types and shadows kind of overlapping and things, but, but still they're, they're, they're nonsense until they begin to point to this unbelievable perspective of God. What was the perspective of God? Well, the perspective of God is that when you're baptized into Christ, you no longer are part of the earth. When you're baptized into Christ, you are made alive with Him. Raised with him and seated with him in heavenly places. You're raised above, therefore fix your eyes and you fix your mind on those things which are above. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. That's God's view. We no longer look at the things which are seen, but the things which are unseen. You know, we're, we're, we're strangers and pilgrims. We're, uh, all these different scriptures that talk. We're citizens of, of a totally different country. We are, by faith, we, we see that which is unseen and we, we live as strangers and, uh, wanderers in, the, in this, in this natural realm because we're part of another and that's why you eat the passover uh the passover lamb with your your sandals on your your waist skirted and your and your uh, staff in your hand um so i'm running out of time here but i think um i don't know i'm I'm not sure exactly how much detail i'm going to get into in this um i'm definitely going to Start. Uh, well, I'm going to keep going with Exodus 12 and 13. I think next time, but but what I, I guess the main thing I really want us to see today is that the pat the the, the Passover uh, the, the the Passover feast and the events that are surrounding the feast and the judgments that are going on and the death and the the leaving and the sandals and the um, uh, I mean, all these things that we've been talking about. What what's in view here? You know, well, what's in view here is God's view of His eternal purpose in Christ, and and how that eternal purpose is accomplished through judgment. He redeems His people through judgment. That's you'll find that in a bunch of that, that almost that very phrase in a bunch of different places in Scripture. Judgment is how he does it. He brings a perfect, eternal boundary line and says, No longer um, am I or those who are joined to me part of or involved in uh, this land of sin and death. The thing that he has to say to that fallen man is, If you want to live, you must die. And if you try to keep living what you call life, you'll lose it. And which is precisely the gospel that Christ was preaching as he went throughout Israel. So, okay, I'll stop with that.